Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Well, good evening, beloved. It's good to see all of you tonight. Let me begin. Uh, my brother began us with thanks. I'd like to add my thanks to thank you, first of all, for, for being here. Your presence is ministry to us and to one another, and I trust that um, your presence here indicates God's ongoing work here in Bangor and beyond in the spread of this glorious gospel. And my wife and I and my daughters, we especially want to thank you for your warm hospitality all week long. I said it earlier in the week. I think it bears saying again, I don't think I've been any place in the world where the hospitality has been so lavish and rich and warm. Uh, makes us want to live here. <laughs> and to that end, I especially want to thank uh, the mayor and his wife who had us over for a lovely time on yesterday. You'll see I'm wearing my Bangor crest. I've already began my duties of representing you to the world and your hospitality to the world. There's just a long list of people I wish to thank also for their kindness and their, their love. Um, Jim and Margaret Tom and Marif, uh, Minister David Johnson and the Hamilton Road family and the staff who let me into the office six times this week so I could print my notes at the last minute, and um, Pamela and John, um, Eddie and uh, his wife, and Debbie and Pamela and friends for their kindness, and the Flanagans, um, Roland and Eunice, Alistair and the praise team. Thank you for leading us so well this week. The brothers on the sound back there, they have the kind of job that you don't notice until something goes wrong. <laughs> and the fact that we haven't noticed them this week means that they have served us extremely well. And so we thank you, brothers, for your, for your ministry. Um, thank you all. Let me thank you all also who have prayed for Cayman over the last couple of days. Many of you will know that a hurricane, Hurricane uh, Gustav was heading that way. You know, every time there's a hurricane with sort of a German name, it means bad news for Cayman. <laughs> Last hurricane to come through Cayman in full force was Hurricane Ivan about four or five years ago. It was a Category 5 hurricane um, that basically decimated the island. And so Gustav was headed and uh, many of us were praying, many of you were praying with us. Uh, the last report I got was in answer to our prayers, God in his mercy turned the hurricane in such a way that um, basically the island mostly just got winds. Um, so the Lord has been gracious. Continue to pray that his kindness would lead to repentance for many, that his mercy and grace would cause many to humble themselves before him and to believe. And continue to remember India, that vast country where the many hundreds and hundreds of thousands are afflicted by thought even now. My task is to talk with you about understanding Islam from a biblical perspective. I, I want to go ahead and, and I don't have email access and snail mail may take too long. So I want to go ahead and give Brother Eddie uh, a little bit of feedback on the program, which he asked for. And that is to say, as far as I can tell, in this entire week, he's only made one mistake. He saved it for the last night. He should have allowed our brother Nabil to speak for at least another hour. 
the Lord's grace and mercy, and even on this, in this subject. Thank you, brother, for encouraging us and serving us so well. Before we get into our topic, I wonder if we could ask the Lord's blessing. Let's pray together. Father, we do praise you and we do thank you. We don't know how to pray. But we are thankful that your spirit intercedes for us. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you sit on the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. And so what we offer you now is our hearts and our minds, indeed all of ourselves. And we pray that you would find it an acceptable sacrifice. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would lavish upon us the grace of understanding your word of being shaped by your word and being filled with yet more of Christ and your spirit and the truth. Be with us, O Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The story is told of this Northern Ireland preacher who was somewhat a student of the church around the world and he had, as it were, a sabbatical one year and he traveled to the States where he'd been many times and he visited an African-American church. He had with him his, what you would call your wee little one, a wee lad, <laughs> whose first trip it was to the States. And coming from a, a Presbyterian church, he, he knew instantly when he walked into this African-American church with his loud and rocking choir that this would be a different experience. <laughs> and everything caught the wee little one's eye. And, and he'd ask his dad, he turned to him, he said, Dad, who... Who are those ladies over there in the white? You may or may not know this, but the Irish pastor turned to him and said, Well, son, those are the, those are the nurses. You see, we, we worship really hard. You need nurses in the church. <laughs> they turned around and he, he saw some other things that caught his eye. And he asked his dad, What does this mean? And his father, with, with the patience of Job, explained every detail and led him through the service. Then finally, the, the African-American preacher came to the pulpit and he took his watch off and he laid his watch on the pulpit ever so gently, and the young lad looked and said, Dad, what does that mean? Without missing a beat and a beautiful Irish accent, which I can't imitate, the dad said to his son, absolutely nothing. <laughs> I'll try to give this gesture some meaning tonight. <laughs> if you have your Bibles with you. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. We wish to think a little bit about Islam from a biblical perspective, and so obviously I'm, I'm so happy then to be able to open the Bible and to, to read from the Scripture and to, to have the Scripture speak to us. I, I pray and I trust that as Christians in a land that has this privilege, we don't take this for granted. I pray that if there's anything in us that that sees this as familiar and commonplace and therefore taken for granted, I pray that even now we would, we would repent and we would tremble before God's word, knowing the many millions who do not have this privilege and the many millions who, who at the simple opening of a Bible, risk their lives. But here the sovereign God speaks to us. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. Just real quickly, just by show of hands, I, I, I want to ask a couple of questions. So I might gear this, this talk just perhaps a little bit better. How many of you are, uh, have a Muslim neighbor or coworker or friend, just by show of hands? How many of you? Okay, excellent. And how many of you then have, have ever read a book on Islam? Ever read excellent, excellent. How many of you have ever lived in a Muslim country? Muslim neighbors and friends. Good. Good. Well, as you know, many of you, this is a really broad topic. It's one I've had the privilege of addressing in many times before. Uh, typically, though, in three to four sessions. And this demonstrates Eddie's courage in me, his confidence in me. They would say, no, 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 take four hours worth of talk and, and just do it once. Well, perhaps the place to start is by asking the question, what is Islam? And our brother Nabil has given us such a, a wonderful introduction via his own life into that. I won't, I won't take much time on that, but, but Islam is one of the world's largest religions. For the Muslim, it's, it's much more than merely a religion. Islam is thought to be, is viewed as a system for governing all of life. Yes, religious aspects of life, but also regulating the family, government, even military and so on. And a Muslim is one who practices Islam, one who literally submits to the will of Allah. And our brother boiled down the basic religious commitments of Islam to the five pillars of Islam. Uh, there is the profession of faith. There is but one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his messenger. The prayers, the alms or charity, fasting, and the hajj. I'm sure you're familiar with these. But what emerges out of these is, is, a, is a particular worldview, a particular understanding of, of world and life. And I want to just sort of highlight a couple and then move to 
what Ephesians 1 has to do with all of this. First of all, there's a perspective on other religions that emerges. It's part of the worldview. The prophet Muhammad is thought to be the final and the seal of all the previous prophets of Allah. There will will not be another prophet after Muhammad, the Muslim believes, and that Islam then is is the final and the most beautiful and the most complete and the most perfect religious expression that God gives to man. And implicit in that, and sometimes made explicit in that in discussions with our Muslim friends and neighbors, is is the idea then that Islam corrects all that has sort of gone wrong in the previous revelation. So it, it sees Islam as standing at the pinnacle of God's revelation and of man's religious expression and experience. Uh, corresponding to that, then, is the idea often, often taught, heard, is that no Muslim, then, should leave Islam. That no Muslim wants to, that Muslims don't convert. And I trust by Brother Nabil's account and my own account and the many millions of others who are coming to Christ from Muslim backgrounds, we know that to be a great myth. Great myth. And there's a perspective on history that grows out of this religious expression. The idea that actually there's a progression toward the worldwide expansion of Islam. Islam is a missionary religion, sort of uh, in many ways bringing all of world, all the world, all of life, etc., under submission to Islam and Allah. But now in its conversation with Christianity, in its conversation with the Bible, there are some things Islam contends that we want to understand in the light of Scripture. I want to just sort of do this talk briefly in under, under four headings. These are four headings that you will be very familiar with. They are headings sometimes used in the presentation of the gospel itself. And mainly all I want to do in this talk is encourage you in what you already know. If you're here and you're a Christian and you've come to know God through faith in Christ, you've come to understand and embrace the gospel, you you really then have all that you need to know in order to understand Islam from a biblical perspective. So in many ways, this will just be the, the unpacking of what you already know and the encouragement offered to you in that truth. So four headings. God, man, Christ, and the response that the gospel calls for. God, man, Christ, response. Well, what does the Muslim believe about God? What does Islam teach about God? Well, one of the things we should be encouraged by in our conversations is that there's actually a great amount of agreement, at least, on some issues between a faithful Muslim and a faithful Christian. And so a faithful Muslim would affirm that there is but one God. And he would affirm certain things about that God, which we too would, would believe, that, that that one God is just, that he's holy, that he's transcendent, that that one God rules by his will. So we would have that to sort of begin us with. And I understand that a uh, young man last night who was sharing of his story, his time in Iraq, was sharing the account of, of, of his many Muslim friends who would come to him and ask questions about, about Christ and about Jesus. And, and part of that grows out of the common ground we have, at least in terms of this, this basic understanding of the attributes of God. 
But now if we're going to understand that doctrine of God from a biblical perspective, the Christian must understand and must hold to more than that. It's absolutely true that we believe in one God, but, but we believe that this one God has revealed something magnificent about himself. That there is one God in three persons. That each person is fully God. And yet there is but one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, Muslims will have many questions about that. They will, they will misunderstand that, many of them. You know, many of us, I think, as Westerners, who if we don't have a lot of contact with Muslims, I think oftentimes we, we view them uh, with a good deal of sort of stereotype and a good deal of sort of uh, myth. So many of us, I've, I've met many Westerners, uh, people who are not familiar with Muslims, who think that every Muslim they meet has, has memorized the Quran. And, and every Muslim they meet will, will sort of be able to, to sort of give these articulate and deep and profound understandings of both Islam and challenge their understanding of the Christian faith. But you'll, you'll, you'll be surprised to know, perhaps, that there are many Muslims in the world who think that the Christians who believe in the Trinity not only believe in three gods, but believe that, that God is Father, Jesus, not the Holy Spirit, but Mary. There's great misunderstanding. There's great, there's great need for us to be clear about even the most basic things of, of the Bible's teaching. And, and the reason we want to understand and hold to the Trinity, judging from our text in Ephesians chapter 1, is that if we surrender the Trinity, we do something far worse than just cower from the Bible's plain teaching. Or, or feel a little bit embarrassed about a, a deep mystery that, that isn't always easily explained. We surrender the gospel itself. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 at what we're told here. Praise be to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 4, for he, the Father, chose us. You see the Father's work in salvation, electing his saints before the foundation of the world. The Father is active in the, in the converting of sinners. So if we surrender the idea of God the Father, then we, we surrender a part of the Godhead who sends the Son and chooses the saints whom he will save. And, and come down just a little bit further in verse 5. It's through Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus Christ that we are saved. Verse 7, in him, that is Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins. If Christ is not fully God and not the Son of God, his atonement saves none of us. Christ is God. His blood accomplishes God's plan to redeem those whom he would save. Verses 13 and 14. Look there. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the imprimatur of God resting on his people. And what is that seal? The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You see how essential each, each, each person in the Trinity is to, to not only understanding God as he reveals himself in Scripture, but understanding the work of God in the gospel itself. 
Each person in the Trinity plays a part in redeeming men from their sin. The Father electing, the, the Son atoning, the Spirit sealing. There is no salvation apart from this God. There is no salvation apart from this understanding of God. One God, yes, holy and beautiful and true, perfect in all his ways, but gloriously revealed in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And this is what is missing in Islam's conception of God. We'll come back to that in just a second and make one further point. But, but let's move to the second doctrine we want to consider, and that is the doctrine of man. Now, there are things that I want to encourage us on here that, that really just echo what Brother Nabil has said in, in, his, in his very, um, I think, right and kind and gracious manner um, in, in encouraging us to, to love our Muslim neighbors. You know, the Muslim believes that, that folks are born Muslim but are apostate. They turn away from the will of Allah, turn away from the true path. That's a very different conception of man in his nature than the Bible gives. So if you just look over to Ephesians chapter 2, those first three verses there. As for you, you were not born submitted to God. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Our Muslim friend, in many ways, would view man in such a way as that the main problem is a, is a sort of just a need for a change of mind, a sort of turn back to repent, the same word that we would use to repent and to turn to God again. But what we understand from the Bible is, is that actually there's something much more radically wrong with mankind. There's something much more grave, much more serious than, than just the need to reform himself. He must be raised to life. Man is dead spiritually. And we have to take that word dead seriously. This is God's word. He doesn't exaggerate. He's not using this for effect. It's not, a, it's not a dramatic moment in scripture. God is telling us something real and very serious about ourselves that spiritually, apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins. We are not alive to him. We are dead and dying. And if we die in this state, there is a second death, the Bible tells us, where our separation from God is made permanent. Now, this means that, again, our problem is far more serious than our Muslim brethren think. It also means that we know more about them than they know about themselves. The scripture is telling us with crystal clarity about the spiritual condition of men apart from Christ. Romans chapter 1 tells us this. Romans chapter 1 tells us that apart from God, what sinful men do is suppress the truth. We don't get sidetracked, I don't think, with the kinds of stereotypes and fears and misinformation that, that many of us hold about our, our Muslim neighbors and friends. 
we, we don't get caught up in, and we shouldn't get caught up in, in sort of current events and political questions and, and things of that sort. What the scripture is telling us is that men apart from Christ are perishing in their sin. And unless they are made new, unless they are raised to life by faith in Christ, they will perish. We know this about all our neighbors who are not Christ, including our Muslim friends. Let that be to us an urgent drive to loving compassion. Here's the other thing that this tells us, this verses, verses in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Notice Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He's addressing here Christians. And in that part, I believe the Gentile Christians at the church at Ephesus. Then he comes down to verse 3. He says, all of us also lived among them, referring to the Jewish Christians as well. We are all sons and daughters of Adam. We're all fallen in Adam. We all bear the stain, as it were, before Christ of Adam's guilt, of Adam's sin. And we all, in a billion lives, replay Adam's rebellion. What does that mean? That means there's great solidarity between us and our Muslim friends. Rather than viewing them as fundamentally people unlike us, foreign, alien, etc., Actually, I think biblically, if we're to understand our Muslims in, in biblical perspective, we're to view them as just like us. Imagine, if you will, walking into a mall, perhaps down in London or here in Bangor or wherever you live, and, and entering that mall and, and entering into the food court and seeing in that food court a table over here with, with perhaps some young men who are who are clearly Muslim, perhaps, by their, by their dress, perhaps. And we might recognize them in that way. And entering that same cafeteria and looking over to the right and seeing a table full of Northern Irish folks speaking in that lovely accent and using that, that what was described to me yesterday as that dark Northern Irish humor. You hear them and you recognize them. What tends to happen in our mind in a setting like that? We, we perhaps look upon our northern Irish friends at that table and we go, like me, safe, something in common. Perhaps there's peace and joy to be found in discussion at that table. And what happens in our minds as we look at, our, at that table with those Muslim friends? We go, not like me unsafe, dangerous, conflict. We get the speed of thought. That's what's happening in our minds. And, and what we would rather do if we were to have a biblical understanding of Islam and a biblical understanding of Muslims is understanding that we are all sort of one with Adam. We have participated in Adam's sin, and so therefore they are more like us than, than just like us in that way. And so when we walk into that cafeteria, what we, what we want to have happen in our mind is to, is to look at that table and to go and look at our Muslim friends and say, like me in Adam. Like me, fallen and corrupted by sin. Like me, in desperate need of a savior. Like me. Because we are. We're just like them. The label Muslim or Islam should not be the kind of curtain-raising label that causes us to think that they are fundamentally different from us. 
and therefore weakens the kind of love, the gospel love, we must show to them. Our Muslim friends are like us in that regard. Even if they don't understand it, we should. Because we know our problem is deeper than simply having been born a Muslim and simply needing to turn again and make profession. We need to be renewed. Which brings us back then to our third category of Christ. Muslims understand, as Brother Nabil has so eloquently told us, that Christ is a prophet. They would understand Christ to be the, one of the greatest prophets, having done more miracles than any other prophet, having, having been great in his, in his teaching and what have you. But they would deny that Christ is the Son of God. Surprisingly, the Quran teaches that, that Christ is virgin-born. Sort of Maryam, Christ is, is related there, the account of Christ's birth, the announcement from the angel that, that Mary would have a son, though she be a virgin. As I said, would deny that Christ is virgin-born. And most Muslims would deny that Christ was crucified. They would deny that he was taken to the cross and, and crucified, particularly for our sins. And there are different sort of theories that, that raise up out of tradition sort of explaining what happened if he wasn't crucified. We need not be sort of distracted with that at this point. But as Christians, we must insist upon more. Christ is, even as the Quran says, the word of God. He is the word made flesh. And that Christ, not, not respectfully Muhammad, Hebrews chapter 1, is the, is the last word of God. God has spoken to us in these last days by his son. Now, I've had the privilege of, of uh, a couple times now traveling to... Um, the Middle East and engaging in discussion with, with Muslim apologists um, and, and talking about these matters and talking about Christ in particular. And, and I'll, I'll never forget the, the young man that, that sort of approached me with questions about, about Christ and, and wanting to know, you know, how, how can God be, you know, how, how can God be both the Son and the Father? And why does Christ pray to the Father? And, 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 Surely it's not, it's not right for one man to take the sort of the blame and the sin of another. And, and he kept on and on and on. And I listened as, as patiently as I could. And, and I think Brother Nabil put his hand on the, on the key issue. What will you do before God with an imperfect righteousness? How will we appear before God? How will we, what will we say when we appear before God on that day? Will we make much of our achievements? Will we make much of our good deeds? Will we make much of the, of the nice things we have done, the alms that we've given, the trips that we've made? Will that really suffice? Will that really satisfy an infinitely holy God who demands an infinite perfection like his own? See, that was the breaking point for me, too. I remember one day standing beside a water cooler, literally by a water cooler with my coworkers, talking about various things. And, and that day we were talking about people whom we admired. And there was a young lady there whom I also happened to have gone to university with who, who said that day, she said, you know, among the people I admire is, is the Beatty. And, you know, I, I 
you know, I, I feigned humility. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Stop it now. Stop it. You know, stop it. You know. <laughs> and she said, no, 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 no. She got sort of strident. She was insistent. She says, I, you know, at the time I was a Muslim. She says, um, Thabini treats his wife well. He doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. He's, he's more righteous than anyone that I know. He does this. He does this. He does and as I listened to her, I was more and more and more convinced, not of my righteousness, but of my unrighteousness. I knew the lust of my heart. I knew the dark thoughts that I had. I knew the, the cursings and the unkind things I, I had said against others, maybe under my breath, etc., keeping face publicly. But, but I knew in my own heart that I was not, in essence, what she was describing. And here afresh the words of the Old Testament, that prophet who tells us that not our sins are like filthy rags before God, but our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. There's enough sin in what I'm doing right now, preaching God's word to condemn all of us before a holy God. Such is the sinfulness of sin. And I spoke with my young Muslim friend. I said, what will you do with your sin? And all he could say was, perhaps Allah will forgive me and have mercy. There's no assurance in Islam because biblically what we understand is there is no sacrifice in Islam. There is no atonement in Islam. And the only one who can make atonement for sins, the only one who has, the only one who's ever claimed to on the stage of world history is none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this is what the Bible tells us in, in Ephesians 1 and just throughout the Bible. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And so what we want to help our Muslim friends understand that these are not academic questions. These are not bare questions of theology. These are questions that press upon us the weight of eternity. And there is no relief from that weight unless we stand under the broad arms of Christ. For it's he who lifts the sin from our shoulders. It's he who takes it upon himself. Is he who has shed his blood and in shedding his blood cleansed us from sin and cleansed us from unrighteousness, has cleansed our conscience that we might worship God in spirit and in truth. Christian, you know that. Do not shrink back from that. Be gracious and offer that with joy. Muslims don't understand this. They, they admit too much about Christ. And yet don't admit enough. He is the son of God, born of a virgin. He did do miracles. And he is an apostle of God. He is a prophet of God. And those miracles authenticate his message. What Brother Nabil mentioned is true. Even though the Quran affirms the Gospels, affirms the Torah and the Psalms of David, most Muslims you meet will never have read them. So what we want to encourage them to do to say, you, you know that miracles... Prove the message. What did Jesus teach about himself? Take them to the gospel. Take them to the word of Christ. That they might see and believe by God's grace. Well, quickly, we should 
conclude on what then is required of us by way of response. What must we do in reaction to this message? What must be done to us in reaction to this message? Muslims and Christians would use the same language, repent and believe. You know, one other myth about Islam is that Islam is this universal religion with great unity and and one understanding. There are many schools of Islamic theology and and many sort of what we would call denominations or sects in Islam as there is in Protestantism. And even on this issue of repent and faith, there's different understanding about what this means in Islam from, from as little as making a confession or a profession to as much as not only professing and turning, but, but also the necessity of good works and, and good deeds. There's something in Islam that is akin theologically to, to what some people believe purgatory to be, that a Muslim who does not live a righteous life, some would believe is lost and is no Muslim. Some would believe is a Muslim and will be forgiven. Others believe in this kind of purging as, a, as an intermediate state. What is genuine repentance, genuine faith? But that's what we pray for our Muslim friends. Repentance and faith are twin graces of God, gifts of God. Chapter 2, verse 8 of Ephesians. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. This great repenting is a a great turning, a turning from self and from sin and what the Bible calls the the old empty way of life and turning, as it were, by faith in Christ to God. It's a great reorientating of, of life from a wayward life of rebellion to a life of genuine submission to God. And it is coupled with faith. Believing upon Christ, casting the soul upon Christ, casting the hopes for rescue and salvation and forgiveness and adoption and eternal life and God's love. Trusting for those things solely upon Christ and his finished work. It's not our good deeds, but, but Christ's cross work where he not only bore our sin and the penalty of our sin. But he offered the the only perfect sacrifice to appease a holy God. We must trust that Christ has done for us what we could not do for ourselves and trust in that alone. And that's the grand difference between faith in Islam and faith in Christianity and faith in Christianity and faith in every other religion. For, for we don't have faith in faith. We don't sort of hold to a, a positive thinking philosophy. We have faith in a person. The Lord Jesus Christ. To whom all of history is progressing. I wonder if you noticed that in the reading here in Ephesians chapter 1. You see there in verse 4, God chose us, that is, in Christ, before the creation of the world, in eternity past. And Christ, verse 
5 has entered time and history and, and through the shedding of his own blood, verse 7, has atoned for sin. And then look at verse 10. The times will reach their fulfillment. And in that fulfillment, all heaven and all of earth will be brought under him. This is the one we trust. This is the one who stands between time and eternity. The one who stands between heaven and hell. The one whom we must truly introduce to our Muslim friends. For we understand that faith is more than an empty hope. It's trusting in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand the gospel. We understand, therefore, all that we need to know to be effective and courageous witnesses in the hand of God to bring the love of God to the people of God, even Muslims who need to know God. Let's pray together. Lord, forgive us for ever thinking that there was any a person who was beyond the grace of your gospel. Forgive us if we've ever thought that there were any who were too hard to reach. Forgive us if we've ever acted as though your gospel was meant to be preached until it reached us and then bottled up in our lives. Forgive us if we've heard your call to go, whether across the street or across the globe, and we've ever said, not now, Lord. Lord, forgive us. And help us, Lord. Help us to embrace more deeply and more fully the truths of your scripture, the truths of your gospel, the truths that you revealed in your life and your work on the cross. And help us never to be ashamed of the gospel, for your gospel is your power unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, also to our Muslim neighbors and friends. Oh, Lord, may we have an unshakable confidence in your gospel, an unbreachable confidence in your word, an unremitting trust in you, our Savior. Oh, Lord, open our mouths and fill it with your word that we might proclaim boldly and lovingly, graciously and patiently and with the power of your Holy Spirit that one message, that one message of the gospel that saves everyone who believes. Oh, Lord, use this convention to further your glory. Use this convention to call laborers into the harvest. Use this convention to bring your love in Christ to the vast lands where Islam currently reigns. We pray for a worldwide revival. Lord, we've not asked anything too hard for you. We believe. Help our unbelief. Bring revival everywhere where Islam currently reigns, that Muslims made in your image
like us in our need for your Savior, would come to believe and so be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.